happened to be his birthday and it took me several minutes to convince him I wasn't one of his buddies, you know, jerking his chain on his birthday. I can almost hear the scoffs of some of the folks that are listening to this right now, but it's it's actually true. I heard more folks, uh, you know, pushing for us to open the season a week earlier than I've ever heard in my like in my my career. So welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. You know, elk were once common across our region here, but when settlers arrived, much like other species, the animals were wiped out. Elk received protection in 1893 in Minnesota, and in 1913, the legislature legislature appropriated $5,000 to ship animals in from the western United States as well as from a captive herd in Ramsey County and try to grow a new population in Itasca State Park. It didn't work. According to the Minnesota DNR, the last native elk was seen in the Northwest Angle in 1932. In 1935, 27 elk were relocated from a captive herd at Itasca State Park to Beltrami County near Grigla, and those eventually produced a breeding population. Then in the early 1980s, elk native to Manitoba started crossing the border to spend summers in Kitson and Roseau counties. While there is support for more elk in Minnesota and growing those herds, the populations in those heavy ag-dominated regions of the state have faced challenges due to the, the damage that these large animals do to crops and also fences around these fields. So a new approach to elk management in Minnesota is gaining traction, and that involves relocating or reintroducing animals to the more forested region in the northeast part of the state. In March, the Fond du Lac Reservation Business Committee approved moving forward with the plan to restore elk to eastern Minnesota. Tribal officials have asked the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources to partner in the project. And the University of Minnesota put out a public opinion survey that found that 77% of the general public in southern St. Louis, Carleton, and northern Pine counties supports the reintroduction of elk in the region. Survey also found that 79% of landowners in the potential elk restoration area also support the idea. If you're supportive of the idea, I urge you to share this video with everyone to help spread the word. And to give you an idea of what it was like in Wisconsin as they have successfully reintroduced elk and now have now grown the herd there, we're going to find out how they did that right now. Today's show is brought to you by Haybale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Tazan Lake Lodge in northwest Saskatchewan. For trophy lake trout in northern pike, go to tazanlake.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it's it anyway. Fine. I knew you were going to go there. I'm going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, well, really? Well, four hunters in Wisconsin were drawn from a lottery with 28,000 applicants for the opportunity to hunt elk. Uh, Kevin Wallenfang is a deer and elk ecologist with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources and joins us now to talk about big game in the land of cheese. Kevin, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for being on the show. And as, as Minnesota gets closer to the possibility of, of an elk reintroduction in the northeastern part of the state, I wanted to talk about what's happened in Wisconsin regarding uh, elk and the success that you've had there. So let's, if we can, let's just go right back to the beginning and, sure. and talk about what the landscape looked like in the early 1800s, way back. 
Well, way back. So probably a lot like southern Minnesota. Um, we were a prairie landscape for the most part in the southern part of Wisconsin. And our north woods, like probably Minnesota, had the big tall pines uh, that had not quite been logged yet at that time. So, um, you know, we had lots of elk and uh, also bison and things like that that you guys probably had over in Minnesota as well, I'm sure. And uh, elk were once common here in Wisconsin. We've got um, records in Wisconsin of having elk in at least 50, 51, I think now, uh, of our 72 counties. And we probably had elk in all of our counties uh, to some extent. But for the most part, they were a prairie animal. Um, and, uh, and we had good numbers of them right in there among the buffalo and the antelope and everything else. So. I can't, I can't imagine what it looked like out there back in the 1800s. It must have been kind of wild. So when you, when you say common, is there any is there any way to try to put a, a number on how many elk might have been in Wisconsin? You know, I've never seen a number. Um, I, I don't know that there is really a way to do that. Somebody's probably tried to do it, but how accurate that is, is yeah. your guess is as good as mine. But, um, you know, as a matter of fact, yesterday... Um, I got a phone call from a guy who was out throwing around with his granddaughter near an old creek bed and just last weekend, and they found an elk antler in Wisconsin. Um, and that is, I think, the third or fourth call that I've gotten this year from people that have found old elk sheds in southern Wisconsin. So, wow. you know, they were around. They were always here. And, uh, you know, when the white settlers moved in and the fire went down, they pretty much were gone. Yeah, like it's like so so many of the animals on the landscape out there. You know, yeah. uh, obviously people didn't know they didn't have game laws and management, and and uh, I don't want to say it almost had to happen to get to where we are today. But uh, obviously people realize, hey, we're wiping these animals out. We need to do something about it, and that's where you know agencies like thank, the DNR came in. Yeah, well, and even before that, thank God for you know people like Teddy Roosevelt and the Boone and Crockett Club, and you know that's why the Boone and Crockett Club was created was to to acknowledge and to do something about the disappearance of game in our country. So, thank God that those guys were forward thinking, and uh, you know it makes you wonder if that kind of mentality would even survive today. So. It's hard to think. That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) It's hard to think what mentalities are going to survive today. Anyway, uh, let's go back, uh, not quite as far as the early 1800s, but back to 1995, because that's when uh, 25 elk were reintroduced in Clam Lake, Wisconsin. How much work went into that process? Well, a lot. I mean, um, you know, the the actual act of getting the elk here uh, and capturing them over in Michigan Um, You know, you need to back up even a little bit more than that and consider the manpower and the time, uh, the creation of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation chapters, uh, the money, the folks that went out digging for money and talking to legislators and everything else that that uh, really went into that process. So, um, you know, when it when it finally came around in 1995 and there was an agreement stuck with uh, struck with the state of Michigan, um, they hired a, a private contractor and, you know, they went over there and got the 25 elk and quarantined them over there and then ended up hauling them over to the, uh, to the Clam Lake area. So, but, you know, there's a lot of groundwork goes into being laid, uh, before you ever get to that point. And, um, I'm probably jumping ahead here a little bit, but, you know, we just went through that whole thing with Kentucky, 
uh, over five years, and it's a lot of it's a lot of balls to have in the air at a time. I can tell you that. You know, we have elk in the northwestern part of Minnesota here, and and they're yeah. not always received well by the public because of the heavy agricultural use in the area. How were the how were the elk received by the public around Clam Lake when those twenty five animals came? Well, there's a lot of excitement around that. Um, you know, they ended up in Clam Lake because they were not wanted in another area. Uh, further to the north of there is the area that was really targeted. Um, but because of the, the orchard industry up in the far northern part of the state in Bayfield County, um, they really did not want elk. And that was kind of the end of it. And then this grassroots uprising came and and uh, those folks knew how to, you know, make the right connections. And they started working with the U.S. Forest Service. And our first elk reintroduction in 1995 was actually not a reintroduction. It was a it was a science experiment. And it was actually uh, conducted by the University of Wisconsin out of Stevens Point. And, uh, you know, they convinced our governor and others to put some money in the budget to basically do this experiment to see if they release some elk out there, if they would survive. Uh, and of course they did, and they've continued to grow ever since. Um, but uh, it wasn't really until this last round in 2015 that we really considered it an elk reintroduction effort. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a science experiment. So so and the DNR didn't want to do it. That's kind of the interesting thing to me. You know, you recall in the in the early and mid 90s, your state, our state, a lot of the Midwest really had growing deer numbers. And the last thing that our DNR really wanted out there at that time was another big deer to deal with. So they didn't want to do it. So how long did uh, Stevens Point have management over those animals? And when was it not until 2015 before more elk arrived? And how, how big had that herd grown then by then? Well, uh, the, the Stevens Point uh, project went through about uh, 1999, and I think it was in the year 2000 that the, the, the state, the DNR actually accepted responsibilities, management responsibilities of those elk that were out there. And by that time, um, I want to say that the population was somewhere around 60, uh, hmm. 50 to 60, some, something like that. So in, in 2000, Wisconsin DNR took responsibility of that population. Um, and then we hired on our first elk biologist and, you know, the population has grown ever since. There's an awful lot has gone into uh, keeping those animals out there. Um, but yes, in 2015, um, there's a lot of backstory to all this, of course, but we, uh, we looked at what we had up there. Um, you know, our original population started with only 25 but Michigan's original population back in about 1913 or so started with eight. Um, so there were some genetic concerns um, that as you go down, you know, down the line further into, into time that you could see some genetic issues. And we've not seen that, but we wanted to make sure, too, that we never do. Um, so that's part of what uh, occurred with Kentucky, that we wanted to get some new genetics in and mixing with the elk that we already have so that we don't have problems down the road. Because those original 25 came from eight originally, and then right. it, it grew that fast in five years, almost to 60 animals? We had something like, I, I want to say it was something like 20 plus, 30 plus uh, percent population growth 
during that time. So I, I, I could be a little high on that. I know it was at least 40, uh, but I want to say it was closer to something like 50 animals. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I, you know, and that's a typical thing. Um, and we're seeing that now with some of the elk that we've put out uh, in more recent years that you get a real fast growth spurt and then things start to slow down and level off a little bit. There was also a, a plan to reintroduce elk to the Black River State Forest. Yes, and we've done that. Um, so that was part of the reason also that we went to Kentucky. And all of the animals that we brought back from Kentucky in 2015 and 16 all went to the Black River State Forest area. Um, and that population now, so we ended up dropping, I believe it was a grand total of 73 animals released in those two years. And again, you know, you don't get great population. Uh, you don't get a lot of reproduction the first couple of years. Um, you tend to lose uh, a fairly significant number of your animals just because they're in a new environment. You know, they get hit by vehicles, things like that. Um, and let's face it, you know, the animals that we brought in out of Kentucky had never seen a wolf uh, before and probably few of them have ever seen a bear. So they've got new things to contend with. Um, but now, you know, five years later, that population is approaching about 100 animals. So doing very, very well. We're getting phenomenal calf uh, survival there. Um, we've had something like 35 or 40 confirmed calf births in the last uh, couple of years up there. And we've lost, I think, only two that we've confirmed. So great survival. Um, but that kind of goes back to what I was saying before, too, is, is those first couple of years, you know, uh, several years, uh, you can see some really impressive growth. It's weird to talk about Kentucky to me when you talk about elk. You just don't think of Kentucky when you talk about elk. Uh, and we could do a whole store, uh, whole show, whole story on yeah. on elk in Kentucky. But one of the reasons they've done well there is they, they don't really have predators there, right? They don't. Um, there's very few things that are any kind of a threat to elk in Kentucky on the big scale. You know, they do have a number that get hit by vehicles. Um, they have brainworm at a higher uh, rate than we do up here in Wisconsin. And some of the animals that we brought up from Kentucky seem to be a little more susceptible to brainworm uh, than the animals that we already have here. Um, but, you know, the big, the, the real difference between what Kentucky did and what Wisconsin did, uh, they started with 1,500 animals. So they brought a lot of animals in from the start. And we just had our 25 and we stayed with that. Um, and they actually started two years after Wisconsin in 1997. So, you know, we get people uh, expecting our herd to be bigger and things like that. And they say, well, why don't we have what Kentucky had? Well, we started with 25. They started with 1,500. But when you actually look at the growth rates uh, of the populations, we're very, very similar to Kentucky. So they just started with a lot more animals. And now they've got somewhere between 10 and 15,000 animals. With a great success story. It's incredible. And they have big bulls, great hunting seasons. And we're really happy that we were uh, fortunate enough to get some of their animals and, and uh, bring them up here to Wisconsin. When you talk about transporting elk, obviously in the last couple of years, that's gotten to be more and more difficult because of chronic wasting yeah. disease. What's the possibility of, of getting more? Are you looking to get more? And when you do do a transplant like that, what's, what's the age of the animals and sex ratio of animals that you bring in? Well, to your first question, we are not going to be looking for any more animals. And you hit it right on the head. Um, it's getting more and more difficult with CWD and other disease concerns, um, you know, to get the permission from USDA and that kind of thing to bring animals across state lines. 
Um, we had a very extended quarantine period. We tested these animals for everything that we could possibly test them for, really. Um, so we're not going to be looking for any more. Um, we brought our genetics in, and we're very happy with that. So we're going to let things just uh, naturally go uh, from here on out. Um, when you are uh, getting those animals, for the most part, you're targeting cows and calves uh, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, you want those cows because they're going to be your breeders and make your population go up. Um, we were getting animals at a rate of about one bull for every three to four cows and calves. Um, and, and of course, some of those calves end up being bulls as well, and they grow up and do breeding uh, a few years down the line. Um, but a really well, there's a couple of reasons you don't want to bring those big bulls in. One, the local hunters don't want you to take their big bulls. Um, you know, they're a pretty valuable commodity, so they don't want them disappearing. Um, but the other thing, too, is that those big bulls, they are wired completely different. Um, they, they're hard to keep alive, especially for an extended period in quarantine. Um, and we're talking wild elk here now. We're not talking about animals that have been domesticated for generations and they, you know, game farm type animals. These wild ones are really wired differently. Um, when they get into a, uh, a trap with multiple animals, they like to start throwing their weight around and throwing their antlers around. So you typically end up with uh, gourd animals and dead elk and things like that, just because that bull, you know, kind of flips out a little bit. So um, we're any any bulls that we were bringing up were pretty much yearling spiked. I'm sure you get the question of how these efforts get funded and and how big of a role did the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation play? Yeah, um, everything that we did in our last go round really came from private money, um, and that was a commitment that we made going into it that we wouldn't dedicate. Uh, state of Wisconsin DNR money toward the effort. It would all have to be privately funded. Uh, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation were gigantic. We would not have been able to accomplish it without the Elk Foundation. Um, they put up the bulk of the money, but we also had some other really great partners here. Um, the Ho-Chunk Nation put up $150,000 of what we needed. Uh, we had a local conservation group, pretty small conservation group right there in Jackson County. Um, they put up about $50,000 for um, a number of partners involved. And, you know, going way back when, uh, 1994, 1995, Safari Club came in on the early end, and they were pretty instrumental in, in making things happen. So, I mean, we had some really great uh, funding stories come out of this. Uh, there's a, a little brewery right there in Black River Falls that created a beer called Bugle Ale, and uh, they were giving proceeds from that to the L project. We had local, you know, mom and pop hardware stores and things like that, ATV centers, uh, donating a portion of their uh, their annual income to the project as well. So it was it was great. And you know, without the money, that's you're never going to get off the ground if the money's not there to start with. So a lot of effort and a lot of great support from the financial. And that effort at the beginning resulted in 25 elk coming to Wisconsin. What are the herd numbers at now? Uh, right now, we are sitting at about 300 elk in the northern, our original population. So where those original 25 elk went in north central Wisconsin, um, we're sitting at about 300. And down in Jackson County, like I said, we're sitting at about 100 animals right now. So those are, those are post-calving numbers. 
Um, you know, they're going to be their highest right now. And, you know, as the season goes by, we're going to lose some of those calves and things like that. So it'll diminish down a little bit. And then next year it'll peak again. And hopefully, you know, it'll be 110 or 120 next year and just keep on, on ticking its way up. What's the plan? Uh, what's the management goal? Where would you like to see numbers get to? Our long-term goal in the Clam Lake area where the original herd is, is 1,400. Um, and our long-term goal right now in the Black River herd is about 400 animals. And we may, we're actually in the process of writing a new elk management plan. Um, so we're looking at possibly ticking that down a little bit, but you know, we have designated elk areas in Wisconsin where we are trying to keep those animals. Um, but there's a lot of interest from across the Northern part of the state, especially of having more elk, uh, and in more counties. So, you know, hundred years down the road from now, who's to say, you know, where those elk might be. Um, our, one of our bigger problems is that they just don't go very far. So when we want to get them someplace, we almost have to pick them up and take them there. Oh, really? I was going to ask you yeah. about uh, how far they roam. Yeah, they're, uh, you know, eastern elk are not migratory. The, the thing that really drives elk in the west, um, there's a couple of things. Of course, you know, elevation plays a role in that and, uh, and snowfall and things like that that'll push them down, uh, you know, to more bare uh, range and where they can survive during the wintertime. Um, but anybody that's ever elk hunted out there knows, too, that elk will trial, travel miles uh, in a night just to get a drink of water. Um, I personally hunted in the Monta Vista area of Colorado, and those elk would travel about seven miles a night off the mountain and out onto the flats just to get a drink of water. So in northern Wisconsin and Minnesota, our animals have so many resources right at their feet that there's just not reason for them to do that. So our elk haven't spread out to the point where we would really like them to. That's a, there's good sides to that, but bad sides to it as well. Um, so we do something that we call assisted dispersal. And we actually uh, build an acclimation pen where we've got holes in our population and we'll go in and winter trap and get about a dozen animals and we'll put them in that acclimation pen and try to fill in those holes. And in doing that, we not only make our population go up, but part of the reason that the population goes up is because we're creating more cow-calf groups and those are really the key to herd growth. You mentioned interest across northern Wisconsin for maybe more elk in different areas. How how well do they get along with whitetails, and how are whitetail hunters uh, uh, receiving news of maybe more elk on the landscape? Um, well, we've never found anything, and we've never been able to document anything that says that elk and deer really compete in any way. I mean, we've got trail camera photos and things like that of of elk and deer sharing the same water puddle, uh, you know, sharing the same food plots, whatever it might be out there. So, you know, elk uh, elk are more grazers and deer are more browsers. Um, elk uh, don't need to yard up at all in the wintertime. You know, they're, they're tall enough that for most of the snow depths that we get in here in the Midwest, um, they're, they're getting along just fine without, uh, trying to get into a trail system or whatever it may be like the white-tailed deer do. So not really any competition there. Um, you know, 28,000 people that applied for a tag this year, I'd be willing to bet that probably every single one of them is a, is a deer <laughs> hunter in Wisconsin. So, yeah. you know, to them, it's another great opportunity to, uh, to try to get an animal that they've never got in here in Wisconsin. They've probably gotten a bear and they're, you know, shot plenty of deer and, Wow, a new big game animal, you know. So it's it's been it's gone over very well. Um, 
28,000 folks a year is, is nothing really to sneeze at. We're really happy with that. And, you know, on a broader scale, we've done surveys among the public and kind of depending on how you really want to read the data, our public support for elk is between 85 and 95%. Mm. So there's very, very small group of people out there that really just think we should not have elk in the state. Well, I would love to, to see an opportunity to not have to go out west to, to elk hunt, you know, and be able to right. stay closer to home here. And you mentioned 28,000. It sounds like that's a, an increase of 4,000 applicants from, from, last, uh, from last year. What does right. that mean, especially when all the funding for this is coming from private, uh, you know, private donations and private groups? How, how important is that revenue for the DNR? How nice it is, is it for you to have that DNR revenue or that money reven- coming in for the DNR? And where does that money go yeah it really has been uh, a, a boost for us and the nice thing about our situation here in wisconsin is that when an elk season was first established 15 plus years ago when they actually got it on the books um they earmarked seven dollars from every ten dollar application specifically for elk nice um it's, it's for elk research elk management habitat all those kind of things so Um, you know, for the first time, we've got this nice little dedicated uh, pot of money sitting off to the side. And it, it, you know, it's significant money when you get that number of people applying. Um, And, you know, on a year like this year, where fundraising is down because of COVID, you know, a lot of banquets aren't happening. A lot of the great nonprofit organizations out there are trying to figure out how to make money right now. And, you know, the Elk Foundation, I'm sure is, is struggling right along with the rest of them. But what that, uh, how that affects us back here is that um, we get an annual allowance basically from the Elk Foundation based on fundraising within the state. And when that's down, that pot of money that we've always relied on, you know, to do good habitat work and things like that, that benefit all the wildlife in Wisconsin that live in the elk areas, of course, um, that pot of money goes down. So, you know, a year like this year, um, having that little side pocket of cash there for us to continue to do good elk work and good habitat work is really important. We're, and, you know, people have, a lot of folks, you know, your odds are not high. Your odds this year of drawing a tag were one in 7,000. Um, so I think most people, they would love the opportunity to go, but they kind of look at that as a donation to the program. Yeah. Um, and on yeah. top of the application fees, we had people just donate an extra $11,000 to health management. So wow. it's been great. Yeah. Very generous. And uh, it's, you're maybe going to get to this, but one of the funnest things I get to do all year is call those <laughs> folks that won that elk tag. That was the next question I was going to ask. I read it in outdoor yeah. news that you get to personally call these people. Yeah, I've called every single one of them over the years, and it's uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, they're all there's a little bit of shock going on there. Um, you might have read it. One of the things I said this year is one of the guys that I called this year. It happened to be his birthday, and it took me several <laughs> minutes to convince him I wasn't one of his buddies. You know, jerking his chain on his birthday. Um, I had to tell him some very personal things about himself that I got off of his uh, his DNR file uh, to finally convince him that I didn't know him and he really won an elk tag. So it was pretty neat. <laughs> That's great. Well, yeah. um, the way it stands now, there's approval for ten tags. Four of them go to hunters through the lottery. One goes to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation for a raffle drawing, and then five are given to the Ojibwe tribes in the area as per their treaty rights. How important right. is it to work closely uh, with the tribes in situations like this? Yeah, you know, they've been involved with the elk reintroduction from the very start. And, um, you know, they have their treaty rights that 
uh, provide them the opportunity to have up to half of the quota. Um, we have, uh, so the, the DNR branch, if you want to call it that, of the, of the Chippewa tribes in the Midwest, so Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Michigan, um, basically their DNR branch is called Glyphwick, the Great Lakes Indian Fish and Wildlife Commission. Um, and we have Glyphwick biologists sit on many of our committees, uh, our wildlife management committees, and elk is certainly one of them. Um, you know, the, bringing elk back to Wisconsin has been very important to them. Um, you know, it's part of their history, and they they do some really neat things actually around the elk hunt. They actually have an elk camp, um, and they bring their kids in, and when somebody gets an elk. They all bring it to a central spot and they process it as a community oh, cool. uh, to, you know, to help their kids carry on the, that culture and those traditions that they have. So it's a big deal to them. And uh, for the most part, you know, they've been very, very good to work with. You know, and I know Minnesota is a little bit out of your wheelhouse, but obviously, you know, what's going on over here. Um, would you imagine kind of a similar situation uh, similar scenario playing out when it comes to uh, the potential herd in Northeast Minnesota as what you guys are doing in Wisconsin? Well, it's, you know, it's kind of similar habitat. Um, you know, I'm sure that they're going to have some of the same um, stumbling blocks, if you want to call it that. But, you know, I would think that the public support would be high. Um, I think that perhaps your biggest challenge is going to be where are you going to get your elk to start that second herd? Yeah. And, you know, with the way that the, that the rules are right now with interstate transport and how much more difficult that's getting, I would think that most of your, your elk are probably going to have to come out of the Northwest part of the state. Um, you know, like, like I said, I mean, it's just getting tougher and tougher to get those permissions to go across state line and, you know, I can also tell you that uh, Kentucky had done it many years in a row. They did it for other states before we got there. And I know that they'd like to be done with the elk, uh, the elk trading business and things like that. So I, it, it's definitely going to get tougher. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't be done where there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, you've probably got enough elk up there in the northeast part of the or northwest part of the state. Uh, to start a second herd in the state. So I hope it happens for you guys. It, it would be a, a nice boost to the local economies. We get a lot of people up in the area. Um, you know, the elk hunt itself is not a big, you know, uh, a big driver for the economy or anything like that. But boy, we sure get people up there uh, wanting to see the elk in the fall. Sure. Uh, we get a lot of volunteers that want to want to come along with us. And, you know, we look for calves in the spring. So it's a great way to get people outdoors. And we've introduced thousands of kids to the outdoors through our elk management program. I know every time I'm up in Northwestern Minnesota, I'm always driving around, uh, you know, on gravel with binoculars, trying, just trying to spot them up there. I think that's pretty yeah. neat. And I'm sure the people up there won't mind if, if the DNR takes a few of the animals out and moves them over to the Northeastern part of the state. And gosh, if we could take 25 of them and, you know, potentially within 15 years have uh, enough of a population there to sell sell some tags as if that's the timeline I think I gathered from what you discussed in Wisconsin uh, I think that's a win-win for for a lot of people well and you know the thing it took us uh, about 20 22 years or so to finally have a hunt in the northern part of Wisconsin but in Jackson County that population is growing fast enough. And there's other issues there too, as well. You know, there's a little more agriculture for them to get into trouble. And our goal, to, you know, for total numbers of elk is also smaller. 
So I would be surprised that if in the next five years or so, we don't actually start having a limited hunt in Jackson County. So, you know, that's, that's within 10 years of putting those first animals out on the ground. Well, I was also going to ask you about, uh, maybe this is a, this is a question we don't need to discuss after you talked about how far these elk actually travel, but we have that herd in the Northwestern part of Minnesota that will actually cross into Canada and back and forth. We start putting animals in the Northeast. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where they would put them originally, but we're not too far from Wisconsin up in that neck of the woods. Uh, what's the possibility that you could see elk moving across state lines and what, you know, what impact on the different state uh, management agencies could that have? Well, we're hoping they all come over here. So, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the thing that you tend to see, as I said, um, most of our elk don't go very far, but the yeah. bulls and the cows do separate from each other in the summertime for the most part. And we have had some elk go on a walkabout. Um, now this is a very rare situation, but we actually had an elk that came out of Jackson County last year and started heading south uh, through the state. He ended up in Iowa, and he eventually, uh, from what I understand, he actually ended up in Missouri. Um, (laughs) So that elk went a long way, but that's very, very unusual. Um, You know, we get them that they'll move a county or two over, and some of them will come back. Um, Oftentimes, you know, if they go through an area that that we know our deer population has chronic wasting disease, uh, we'll actually euthanize that animal to make sure they don't come back and bring that disease with them. So they do, you know, they do tend to roam, but for the most part, that's a pretty rare uh, situation. You know, with with uh, 300 elk up in northern Wisconsin right now, you know, to have two or three every couple of years go, you know, somewhere where we don't really want them to be, um, is it's a pretty rare situation. But then on the other hand, if they go to an area where they're not bothering anybody and if the locals like them, um, they're not in a disease situation or causing any kind of problems. We've also left those animals there. So we should talk about depredation. What kind of, uh, you know, wolf or bear depredation effect do you see? Have you seen on elk? Well, um, wolf and bear predation in all truthfulness have been our number one and two causes of mortality of our elk in Wisconsin over the last 25 years. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the elk that have been killed by wolves, we all, we, we have known have had something else wrong with them. Um, so, you know, in a way, our wolves are doing what they're, what nature had intended them to do. And I, I can almost hear the scoffs of some of the folks that are listening to this right now, but it's, it's actually true. And, you know, through the use of heavy radio monitoring, uh, radio collars, um, we have been able to you know, kind of keep an eye on elk and what they're doing out there. And, you know, when you have three or four elk that are spending a lot of time together, and then all of a sudden one of those elk goes off by itself, there's usually something else wrong with it. And the wolves are going to get it when it's out there on its own. um, It's, it's probably going to get it. So uh, we can see that kind of stuff. The wolves get the blame for probably a bunch of animals that otherwise, you know, if they hadn't had a secondary problem uh, may not have been killed by wolves. Um, but there's no denying that, you know, in the wintertime, especially when our deer numbers are very low, um, the wolves will, will target our, our elk a little bit more. When our deer numbers are high, we don't tend to see a lot of losses. And when we have really mild winters, we don't tend to see a lot of losses. Um, and the bear side of it is very interesting in its own aspect uh, or, or respects. Um, 
you know, we've never lost that we know of uh, an adult elk to a bear. Um, our calves, I think the longest or the latest calf that's ever been killed by a bear is about 55 days old, something like that. So just like fawns, uh, they usually get most of them in the first few days or first few weeks of their life. Um, and that can depend a great deal also on how quickly spring greenup happens. If there's an abundance of food out there, the bears tend to leave them alone. Um, if there's a shortage, they start going hunting. So it's, it's quite interesting, actually. Well, those same people that were probably scoffing a little bit uh, would like to probably like to see a, a wolf season return, uh, some sort of yes. being a state management plan for wolves. What's what's the latest on uh, our Great Lakes wolves right now? You know, I'm not real in tune with that. I haven't heard anything in a while, and that's really why I'm not very in tune with it. I, you know, I know several months back they were feeling like something was coming along, right? Um, you know, with with Trump in office and that they were working on it and it was looking pretty good. But, right, you know, I, I know that our DNR staff were meeting uh, more frequently in in anticipation that something was going to happen, but. You know, in the last several months, and I'm sure with COVID and everything else, yeah. that's pretty far yeah. down on the on the important scale for a lot of folks out there right now. So I haven't heard anything uh, recently, but I certainly agree with all those folks out there that we would definitely like to have that management authority back here in Wisconsin. Um, and uh, we look forward to the day that we can have an elk hunt or a, a wolf hunt again here in the state. Well, I remember being at the DNR roundtable here in Minnesota in uh, January, whenever it was, and and they were expecting a, an announcement to come in March. And I think everything, I think you're right, COVID has really kind of put everything on the back burner. So hopefully yeah. uh, that'll that'll be discussed again. And um, we should just touch on deer here before we wrap up. How are, how are deer looking in Wisconsin right now? Things are looking pretty good. Um, we had some areas of the north that got hammered by a little bit of winter last year, um, but you know, our farmland areas always have lots of deer. Um, we've got some special hunts coming up this year in a record number of counties. Um, our holiday hunt that we have over Christmas, um, you know, that is, uh, I think we've got 36 counties maybe, and that's a record number of counties that are going to hold that hunt this year. Um, even across the north, you know, I've been spending some time. I've got a place in the far north just off the Michigan line and seeing good numbers of deer i'm hearing good numbers of you know reports from folks and you know we had good numbers of deer going in the last season um i'm not sure if your rifle season was affected like ours was but you know going through our archery season all through the fall uh, we were ahead of 2018 and then you know our gun season came around and we had a very late opener and the bottom kind of dropped out in some areas um, but you know, a lot of folks realize that those deer were out there then, and they're out there now. And I look forward to a really good deer season this year. So yeah. a lot of opportunity and, and, uh, Hey, deer hunting is always good. The, the bag varies, right? That's right. That's right. I think I remember last time I spoke with you, you said there were some record numbers of deer out there on the landscape. And, and I want to ask you one, one quick question. And just because I haven't been following it very closely, I haven't, I haven't hunted. I grew up gun hunting in Wisconsin. I haven't hunted over there for a couple of years now, but uh, the traditional nine day season around Thanksgiving has been a tradition. And it seems like lately there's been just discussion of opening that up or moving it or changing it in some senses. What's going on with that? Yeah, there were some some uh, ideas getting kicked around of possibly opening it, opening it a week earlier or extending it another seven days. Um, both of those proposals went out to our statewide spring hearings this year, 
and uh, I believe both of them uh, crashed and burned pretty well. Okay. So, um, you know, right now I'm not really anticipating any changes, but I will say, you know, in my entire career, uh, since the early 1990s, I heard more folks, uh, you know, pushing for us to open the season a week earlier than I've ever heard in my like in my my career. So um, I really thought that perhaps a change was going to be coming, but it looks like for at least now, uh, I don't see any changes. All right, Kevin, last thing for you. It's time to play more than you ever wanted to know. It's a game we play here. It's a trivia game we play here. We just uh, we used to do it quite a bit. We're just bringing it back now on the show. More than you ever wanted to know about moose. All right. Ah, okay. Sometimes you'll see a viral video of a moose that has gone around the world, and you'll see people commenting on it, and they'll be calling it something different. In Europe, what are moose commonly known as? Is it A, moose? Is it B, elk? Is it C, red stag? Or is it D, bullwinkle? It is both elk and moose. I'll, so, I'll accept that answer. Yeah, I've actually had the great privilege of hunting moose with friends in Finland, and they typically call them moose, but that's an interesting question because I've actually questioned our uh, some of our history. You go way back and you read some of the accounts of the old Frenchmen, and they would talk about seeing elk in far northern Wisconsin, but I bet a lot of those were moose. Yeah, that's uh, according to uh, Wikipedia, and I believe everything I read on Wikipedia, Kevin. (laughs) Early European explorers in North America who were familiar with the smaller red deer of Europe thought the larger North American animal resembled a moose and consequently gave it the name elk, which is the common European name for moose. Now that everybody is confused, Kevin Wallenfang, (laughs) I appreciate the time here on, uh, on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you. This has been the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at findingfurandfeathers.com. And make sure to like our sponsors. They're pretty cool. Now is the time to start thinking about chasing big walleyes on Devil's Lake. Get on the fish at Hay Bale Heights Campground and Resort. Hay Bale Heights makes it easy for you to make memories on legendary Devil's Lake with guided fishing and lodging packages. Or bring your own boat and rent one of their cabins on East Bay. Hay Bale Heights offers a private marina, fish cleaning station, and the opportunity to relax and enjoy your bucket list trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. To book your trip, visit haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Hey, anglers, looking for a destination where walleyes, fresh air, and fish fries are a way of life? Look no further than the famous waters of Lake of the Woods. From Bedette and the Rainy River to the main lake up to the Northwest Angle. Here, you'll enjoy the best walleye catch rate in the state. Maybe you'll pursue world-class sturgeon, pike, or muskies. Plus, you'll find lots of full-service resorts offering charter boats, delicious meals, and lots of Minnesota nice. Come experience the walleye capital of the world. Come experience Lake of the Woods. Catch the details at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. If Trophy Lake Trout and Monster Northern Pike are on your list this summer, book a trip to Tazan Lake Lodge in northwestern Saskatchewan. Everything from numbers to big fish. See pictures, videos, and more at tazanlake.com. This is quite the fishery. Our five-star chef will feed you well after a day of chasing giants on Tazan Lake. Dream come true. Get rates, dates, and more of what you can expect. It could be the best fish you ever had in your life. At tazanlake.com. That's tazanlake.com. Tazan Lake Lodge is a proud partner of Tourism Saskatchewan.